Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Legal Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Saturday, August 26, 2023, marked the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Hundreds of thousands of people participated in the anniversary march to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. The 1963 march was organized by King and other civil rights leaders to advocate for, among other things, comprehensive civil rights legislation. While reflection on how our society could move towards equality, equity, and justice was occurring in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country, a racist armed with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and a handgun drove from a neighboring county to Jacksonville, Florida, a predominantly black community for the purpose of killing black individuals simply because they were black. The gunman, Ryan Palmeter, a 21-year-old white male, after first stopping at Edward Walters University, the first historically black college or university in Florida, donned tactical gear and then drove to a nearby Dollar General. After arriving, he shot and killed 52-year-old Angela Michelle Carr, 29-year-old Gerald Gallin, and 19-year-old Anult Joseph Laguerre. Palmeter, who wrote a racist manifesto before committing these heinous acts, turned the gun on himself after authorities arrived and died from his self-inflicted gunshot wound. On this evening's show, we'll discuss the continued acts of white domestic terrorism against Black people in this country and whether we're moving forward towards King's dream or moving back. We have joining us for this discussion, Ted Shaw, the Julius L. Chambers Distinguished Professor of Law and Director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina School of Law, and Artemisia Stanberry, who is a Professor of Political Science at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. Thank you both for joining us. And Professor Shaw, we want to again just express our condolences for the shooting that you all at UNC suffered and for the loss of your colleague. And just know that we are here supporting you um, and we are with you as you all deal with this very difficult situation. Well, thank you, uh, April. Appreciate that. And it's, uh, it's always good to be with you all. So this has been a, uh, a trying time. And, and as I mentioned, um, at the time when we should be kind of celebrating and looking forward and seeing how we can um, continue with the efforts that, that started decades ago, we again have to deal with a situation where individuals are gunned down yet again 
because of the color of their skin. And so first, I'd like for um, both of you to first reflect for us on your thoughts about the March on Washington and the 60th anniversary of that march. And then we'll kind of turn our attention to the um, terrible tragedy that happened in Jacksonville. But first, want to get your reactions to um, what the 60th anniversary means and what we should be thinking about as we reflect on, on that moment 60 years ago. Professor Shaw, can we start with you? Well, uh, I have a lot of, uh, I mean, a range of thoughts about uh, the 60th anniversary. Um, the first one is deeply personal, and it's this. I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, 60 years. Uh, I remember the day uh, of that march, and I uh, I regret that I wasn't there. My uh, paternal grandmother, uh, who was my heart, uh, she was all of four feet nine inches tall. She was a domestic worker, um, very humble but wonderful woman. Uh, she got up that morning in New York where we lived and made her way down to uh, a church a block away from Penn Station, got on a bus and went to Washington. She wanted to bring me with her. And uh, I was raised by uh, my stepmother, God bless her. Uh, but she was concerned about rumors of violence. Uh, and I mention this uh, because in part, we're talking about uh, violence uh, against black people. Um, so I didn't go, but I did watch it. And I was only, what was I, nine years old or something like that. I watched it on TV that day. Uh, because if I remember correctly, uh, a good part of it, if not most of it, was televised, uh, you know, on black and white TV. Um, and I was deeply moved by that march. I have here in my study um, some of the things my grandmother passed on to me from that day. Uh, the button from the march, the mm -hmm. iconic uh, button. Uh, and I have papers from the march. Uh, so um, strong memory. Uh, but as we think about Jacksonville, we also have to remember that uh, as glorious a day as that was, or at least it's remembered that way, about two weeks later, there was the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, which took the lives of uh, four black girls. Uh, and injured physically and emotionally yet another uh, Black girl uh, whom some of us over the years have met. Um, so uh, this is nothing new. In fact, uh, it's the American way. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll just stop for a moment by saying that my wife and our two children and I uh, about two or three weeks ago, visited uh, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice 
uh, and the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, that uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, it's his uh, he's brainchild. Uh, everybody ought to visit that museum. Uh, but uh, that museum is a testament not only to those who've lost their lives uh, to violence against Black folks, but also uh, a reminder uh, of what most Americans either don't know or don't want to know or don't want to remember. Uh, this is not new. This is the American way. People don't want to hear it, but that's the truth of it. Professor Stanberry. Good evening. How y'all doing? Um, first of all, this is very surreal just to be on here. I'm a very regular and frequent listener. So it's it's just just hearing you all introduce the show with me actually on it is just surreal. It's, it's so I appreciate it. Um, and uh, Professor Shaw, Shaw, Attorney Shaw set it up very well with regard to his remembrances and what happened to the country after that? You know, individuals, so many in this country like to sanitize the March on Washington. They like to talk about the content and our character line uh, without talking about the debt that Dr. King said this country owes. And then right after the march, contrary to what individuals were saying about uh, what was going to happen at the march, you know, it was going to be violent. Um, it was a peaceful march, but individuals are rarely peaceful towards African-Americans when they're pushing for the very rights that Dr. King said that mar at that march, we should have on paper. And so the march was the march on Washington for what jobs and freedom. And in, in that, there was a push for voting rights, a, a, a push against police brutality, and this debt that American owes, and here we are in 2023, we're still dealing with police brutality. We're still seeing these pushbacks via the institutions um, against voting rights, Supreme Court, state level. And we're still, uh, and we can't seem to even be able to talk about the systemic, systemic and structural racism that came about as a result of the, of the country not living up to the ideas that Dr. King and not just Dr. King, John Lewis and others at that march talked about. So it's, it's just, you know, 60 years, I wasn't there at, uh, at 60 years ago, but I make sure my students know about, about that march, the speech, um, and, and the entire speech beyond uh, uh, what King delivered and some of King's works after the speech, is, uh, after the march as well. Let, let me, you know, and I know it's a little, little bit out of out of order uh, for, for us, uh, but uh, Ted uh, sparked uh, a thought uh, in my mind when he was talking about his uh, his grandmother, uh, four feet nine of, of her, uh, who went down to uh, catch a bus uh, to ride down to D.C. to participate in that event. Uh, my mother also who was a part of the uh, 1199 uh, Workers uh, Union uh, in uh, New York. Uh, 1199 was one of the prime sponsors of the uh, march. Uh, likewise, uh, took the bus uh, out of uh, New York along with my aunts, and they uh, traveled down uh, to uh, join the, uh, the march. 
And um, notwithstanding, you know, a lot of, and, and this is a whole new discussion, all of the kind of wrangling that went on with respect to the march and some of the uh, controversies that uh, internal uh, to us uh, that uh, occurred during that time was a uh, welcome sight. Uh, at the time, it was the largest gathering of people that had occurred in Washington, D.C. And uh, to see that mob of people, and mob is probably the, the incorrect word, but that uh, uh, collection of, uh, of people coming down to talk about uh, discrimination, to talk about how the government had uh, failed uh, to uh, protect uh, the interests and rights and aspirations of African Americans, and uh, and to boldly stand up with a large statement, with a bold statement, revolutionary statement at the time, that all of these people would come down and condemn racism publicly and uh, on a national uh, scale. So I've always uh, honored. Uh, the uh, the march, participating in it and and other uh, commemorations uh, over uh, the years was always something that uh, that I enjoyed. And the meeting of the uh, many people, different people, who were there and was were supportive of the uh, fight for uh, equal justice, freedom, and uh, and equality in this uh, country. And I would hope that in uh, future years that uh, this commemoration will uh, will continue. Also, the uh, discussion about the uh, focus of uh, that march and what it was that we were fighting for. And it humbles you uh, when you sit down and recognize that what we were fighting for then is exactly the same thing that we are fighting for right now. Uh, so 60 years later, uh, and uh, probably thousands of marches later, uh, we are back where we began. And uh, so we have to recognize that while there has been, as they say, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, but, uh, but, but Ted, you sparked me on that because I just had to talk about my mother because you were talking about your grandmother. <laughs> well, you know, Urban, uh, I, I have to uh, acknowledge that uh, every time I see footage of that march, the film footage, or when I see uh, photographs from that march, I am always looking for my grandma Hattie. Uh, uh, and as I said, she was four feet, nine inches tall. There were 250,000 people there that day. Uh, I know I'm not going to see her, uh, but I'm always looking for her. And I'm so proud of the fact that she was there. Uh, I also want to acknowledge, and this is probably true for uh, you and maybe for you know others of us on this uh, program right now. Uh, you know, I've been to many of those commemorations, not all of them, but many of them. And I remember when uh, we were marching in the 80s for uh, the national holiday, the Martin Luther King Day. Um, uh, and almost immediately when that day uh, became a national holiday. Yes, I felt good about that. But at the same time, I wondered whether the day would be 
commercialized um, and homogenized and turned into what America does, you know, white sales and, uh, you know, the exploitation of, uh, for purposes of capitalism and, and uh, the crux of what that march was about and the struggle for, uh, at that time, uh, employment and, you know, and equal rights, uh, whether that would get lost um, in, in all of this. Uh, in some ways, for some it has, not a surprise, uh, but it's so important that we continue to commemorate what happened then. Uh, yeah, we think about Martin Luther King. We have to think about Bayard Rustin, you know. Um, and uh, yes, John Lewis, but we have to think about Dorothy Height. Uh, you know, women weren't, uh, you know, uh, allowed to speak on that day, even though women have been the backbone of the civil rights movement uh, and our institutions. Um, so uh, there are a lot of people to remember whom we don't remember. Uh, you know, uh, Ella Baker, um, uh, we ought to lift up and remember and, you know, so many, so many others. And so, uh, Septima Clark, I start calling names and there's no end to it. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, my heart, um, you know, grows full when I think about all of these people and the story of what happened during the civil rights movement. But, uh, in so many ways, we're facing retrenchment going backwards today, and the violence against Black people continues. Uh, the reality is that many white Americans continue this uh, hatred of Black people. They don't want to hear us say it, but that's the truth of it. You know, and if anybody doubts that, as I say, go down and visit the National uh, Memorial for Peace and Justice in Alabama. Um, so I, I should, uh, I should um, cease so that others can increase. Okay, this is the uh, Legal Legal Review, and uh, we're talking to uh, Professor Ted Shaw who is the Julius Chambers Distinguished Professor of Law and is the director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina uh, School of Law and Optometria Stanberry, uh, who is a professor in the uh, Political Science Department at North Carolina Central uh, University. And uh, she's probably on her way to joining the uh, law faculty at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the law school. But we're talking about uh, the... Uh, recent, uh, most recent spat of uh, violence directed uh, toward uh, African Americans and uh, starting that out with a uh, uh, some recollections on the uh, uh, 60th anniversary of the uh, march on, uh, on Washington. Uh, we're going to take our break uh, right now and uh, we're going to uh, return. want you to uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 
to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to, one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for uh, staying with us as we uh, continue this discussion uh, about the uh, Jacksonville uh, murders, uh, which occurred uh, during the uh, commemoration of the uh, 60th anniversary of the uh, March on uh, on Washington. And uh, although this occurred down in uh, Jacksonville, uh, Florida, uh, Ted Shaw made the, the point that uh, it is uh, an incident that is very familiar uh, to uh, to those of us in the African-American uh, community. Um, and, you know, just and, and, and it, I think it's, it's, it's appropriate that uh, Ted is is on the show uh, as the Julius Chambers Distinguished Professor of, uh, of, of Law. Uh, and uh, his uh, uh, honor of being chosen as that uh, person to emulate uh, the work of Julius Chambers, who was the victim of, uh, of racial violence. Uh, his uh, car was uh, bombed uh, in the middle of a uh, meeting in uh, Newburgh. Uh, his house was bombed. Uh, in uh, in Charlotte, uh, or outside of Charlotte, where he uh, lived, his uh, law office was bombed, uh, and all on different uh, occasions. So, uh, just carrying the name of Julius Chambers carries with it a reminder of the kind of uh, violence that uh, uh, African Americans are accustomed to and used to uh, over. Uh, over over the years, um, Ted, can you kind of just talk about you know what was the impact of the Jacksonville murders uh, when uh, it, it occurred, and uh, your reflection on uh, where we are now and what road that we've uh, traveled, and then we'll go to Professor uh, Stanberry. Uh, who was of a is of a different generation 
and uh, and see what her recollections and reflections are on that. So let's start with uh, Professor Shaw. Well, uh, first, uh, I I have to acknowledge uh, that Irving knew Julius well um, and uh, worked with him in many ways. And uh, so, uh, you know, I I have to acknowledge that uh, Irving is one of the uh, the great lawyers here in North Carolina and, and um, knows what we're talking about uh, well and firsthand. I, um, uh, when I think about what you said about Julius, anybody who knew Julius, he was so low keyed. You know, famously, when his car was bombed, uh, you know, somebody came into the meeting, interrupted, told him that, and he, uh, he stepped outside and looked at his car, um, still burning, smoldering, and uh, then he turned around and went back in the, into the meeting. He didn't get stressed out. I'm sorry if you all hear my dogs. They, uh, I don't know what they're fussing about. And, uh, I'll try to silence them. Uh, um, so, you know, when I heard about this violence in Jacksonville, like almost everyone else, or at least among African-Americans, um, my first thought went to the fact that this was this happened at the same time, as you say, as the commemoration uh, in D.C. And yet we are so, um, I started to say used to, but I don't want to say that. I started to say accustomed to, I don't want to say that. I can't. Um, I can't find the best way to say this except to say that, uh, speaking for myself, but I think it's true for many others, um, we're unsurprised about these events these days. Uh, but we also recognize that in many ways, uh, this is, and it pains us to say this, but it's... Uh, this is just another example. We think about what happened last year up in Buffalo. We think about what happened a few years ago in Charleston. We think about individuals like uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, there's one particular, although there's so many names to call that you start call, calling them and you know you can't do justice. You can't recall them all unless you carry around that list, although we have a list that's imprinted in many of our brains of uh, these victims of racial violence. Uh, there's one who uh, uh, stays with me. I can't quite say why. Um, you know, this young man, you remember, uh, I think his name, Elijah McClain, um, you know, on his way from a store. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he ended up with an encounter with the police and he ended up dead. Um, there was something so gentle about that soul. You know, he played the, um, the violin, if I remember correctly, and maybe it was for an, an animal shelter or something like that. He was so gentle. Not that that should be, uh, 
uh, a standard for determining whom we remember and whom we mourn. But I can't stop, you know, thinking about that young man over the years and so many others. So uh, uh, this is the way we live uh, in America. It's been the way we've always lived in America. When we think that things are getting to the point where uh, all of this racial violence is in our rearview mirror, something else happens to remind us that African-Americans, as I said, are still hated by many white Americans. Uh, and no one wants to acknowledge that uh, anymore, uh, at least outside of the African-American community. Very few people want to acknowledge that. Uh, we have to keep thinking about it. It's, uh, it's Ella's song, you know, until the killing of black men and I would add in women, you know, black mothers, sons, and daughters is as important as the killing of white men and daughters and women. Um, white mothers, sons, and daughters, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I on that point, the, the last point I want to come on that before I get to the Philly, we who believe in freedom cannot rest, and we do not. It's that the federal government cannot rest anymore. You know, I, I look at this in the context of what happened after Reconstruction when this country had an opportunity to do what was right. And when there was so much violence against Black people, the federal government's like, you know what, we just need, we, we just need to move on and try to come together and somehow. And you see these letters from these black politicians in Mississippi and other places like to grant and others like, please, please, you know, we, we are your loyal citizens, you know, don't let them continue to attack us. And, and at some point, one of the presidents, I believe it was grant, this is right before reconstruction, he says, you know, I can't lose Mississippi. I can't win Mississippi and lose Ohio, meaning that it was a political decision to give up on the interests of black people. And we, and so we who believe in freedom cannot rest, but we can't let the federal government rest anymore, not at this moment when black legislators, district attorneys are being attacked for doing their job in upholding, having everyone to respect the rule of law. And so that's, that, that, that is going to be my biggest take, my biggest push right now is that now is not the time the federal government has been doing these, these um, since the Obama administration in particular, there was this report on the rise of white nationalism. And then they ignore it because it upsets people when you name it. You know, Attorney Shaw was naming it. You know, why do you hate us? Don't be afraid to say that. And the federal government can't be afraid to use all its resources to weed that out. Because how does a 21-year-old have so much hate? To believe that somehow his whiteness, the privilege of his being white, is 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 going away because African Americans are just demanding simple, <laughs> basic freedoms. How do you go and pick up a gun, go to an HBCU where people aren't doing nothing, anything to you, and then fortunately the security guard said no. Fortunately, he he was turned away from there. But go to someplace else and kill black people just because somehow you think that. They're responsible for wherever you are in your in society. Are you losing some of this privilege of whiteness? Wherever that's going on on the internet, wherever that's going on in whatever circles this individual was a part of, the federal government needs to stay vigilant and weed that out because it can't just be us 
who are not resting. The federal government, I'm trying to work on this piece called quiet quitting. The federal government can't quiet quit on us this time. You know, you can't do it. And this is our moment. I'm sorry I'm getting emotional about this, but this is our moment right here. Because I teach students who, who are the same type of students who are Edward Waters. And just imagine someone coming to our campus and that upset because they're upset that, you know, you had a black president and now a black person, black people are, are actually claiming black lives matter, which <laughs> it's just so frustrating that we're in this time, but the federal government has to, has to continue, has to not say, well, we got to bring everybody together because bringing everybody together hasn't worked out for us. And so this cannot, this has to be our moment to, to force the federal government to take a stance and the federal government needs to take a stance at this moment. I'm sorry. So, um, okay, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, don't don't apologize for your passion. You're you're yeah. I've got goosebumps. Um, and you know, both you, Professor Stanberry and Professor Shaw, have talked about folks not wanting to, other than us, right, the community that's being most affected, not wanting to um, name it, not wanting to be educated about it, wanting to water it down, sanitize. And of course, we're in a moment in time where there are deliberate efforts to try and prevent the teaching of the history in this country. And, and Professor Stanberry, you mentioned, you know, political decisions being made, and, and this is all about politics, right? It's hard to get the federal government to do something if people don't understand the history, right? If you don't um, understand the um role of the federal government in disenfranchising African-Americans, not just when it comes to vote, but when it comes to economics, when it comes to educational support. If you don't understand that, then the federal government taking steps to protect and, and uplift this community, it's viewed in a way that's not... Um, you, where you don't have the context, you don't have the historical context. And then it is easier to radicalize people. So can both of you share your thoughts on the deliberate effort that's being made to prevent the teaching of not just Black history, but American history? Because both of you have emphasized accurately so that this is who we are. This is American history. This is what American America has done time and time and time again. Professor Shaw? Well, um, you know, I, it occurs to me as you uh, ask this or tee this up, April, that I can't think of any other uh, people uh, about whom they say uh, their part in the history of our country can't be taught because it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, may If there's anyone else, it's indigenous people, Native Americans in this country. Um, uh, but the notion that uh, we... Uh, shouldn't talk about or teach about things <clears throat> that make uh, people uncomfortable, even children. 
um, and it, it infuriates me. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, whether we teach at the university level or the elementary school level or in between, um, we've got to tell the story and we've got to uh, teach um, history honestly, you know, for uh, many of us uh, in African-American communities, you know, the uh, the way we've talked about um, his story um, uh, as opposed to history. Um, uh, but whether it's the current governor of Florida or whether it's uh, the way uh, the ex-president, um, the 45th president of the United States, uh, in his ignorance and his hatefulness, uh, you know, um, uh, tries to uh, uh, blunt uh, the voices of people who disagree. Uh, you know, no matter who it is, uh, we have to keep standing up and telling our story and the story uh, of this country and in particular, the place of African-Americans in this country. The assault on, uh, you know, the 1619 project, uh, you know, is, is a piece of the same thing. It's part of what uh, the governor of Florida is trying to do. Um, I, I, I just get infuriated um, by what is going on now. And I'll be damned and double damned and triple damned uh, if these folks will ever shut us up. It's not going to happen. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. We're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear from Professor Stanberry on her thoughts about deliberate efforts to try and remove American history and its impact on the African-American community from our educational system. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, Professor Ted Shaw. He is the Julius L. Chambers Distinguished Professor of Law and Director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina School of Law. And Artemisia Stanberry, she is a Professor of Political Science here at NCCU. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I'm currently a 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in civil rights and constitutional law, dispute resolution, tax law, or justice in the practice of law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market ready. More information about any law degree program is at 919-530-6610. 
My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking about the tragic murders in Jacksonville, Florida this past Saturday. We have with us as our very distinguished guests, Professor Ted Shaw, the Julius L. Chambers Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of North Carolina School of Law, and Artemisia Stanberry, who is a professor of political science at North Carolina Central University. So right before the break, Professor Stanberry, we were talking about the efforts to try and prevent the teaching and education of our students about the impact that this country has had on African-Americans and and the true history and how we have been uh, discriminated against, violence and terror has been committed against our communities and the efforts by so many to try and prevent the teaching of the accurate history because they don't like to feel uncomfortable. And wanted to get your thoughts on, on these efforts and what your experience has been in teaching students Um, about the accurate history of this country? Yes, one of the things I just, I I thought about just a moment ago, just hearing Attorney Shaw and Professor Joyner talk about um, the March in Washington, is that a lot of events, a lot of significant events in our country's history, uh, including historic events that we're we're being cautioned about talking about in some in K through 12 are happening during people's lifetimes, right? I mean, people are alive to see 1963. They're alive to have seen the Evan Pettus Brit, what happened in 1960, uh, 1965. Individuals are alive to see that, right? And so, so it's not even distant history, right? And so when you think about what's happening in Florida or the absurdity of the legislation signing law by uh, Sarah Huckabee in uh, Arkansas, when the Little Rock Nine members, some of them are still alive, and you're saying you can't teach AP history. I mean, you're not going to give credit for AP, AP, AP African American history. It's absurd. But W.B. Du Bois talked about this in terms of the Daughters of American Confederacy. They were keen on promoting the lost cause, the idea of, of, of who, of why um, Northerners were. Uh, started the Civil War, right? This Northern aggression. It wasn't about slavery. And as the boys said, they spent tons of money on Confederate memorials, right? As if that didn't make people feel uncom- uncomfortable and insensitive, right? And 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 what is taught in the textbooks. And so now, when African Americans are are pushing for their history being taught, it's like, oh no, you know, you're gonna make people uncomfortable. You're gonna make people feel hate. Well, you made people feel self self hate. I mean, isn't that part of what Brown before what Dr. Kenneth Clark was saying at Brown be bored? You made people feel as if they hated themselves. And so I, I just think we need a real conversation about that. And in my class, when I teach about George Washington, and I don't often teach about George Washington. I'm morally, I'm more so talk about Oney Judge, right? 
George Washington slave catchers after this woman who knew she was about to be sold <laughs> and escaped. And so rather than her having her freedom, he sends slave catchers after her, right? And then we're going to talk about our founding fathers. We need to talk about, about that reality of how they they how they allowed for fugitive slave clauses to exist, <laughs> right? And in the in the context by which that happened. And so, um, but my main point is that we're talking about the memories. So much has happened within Donald Trump's lifetime that's a significant part of American history. And that's making people feel uncomfortable. And I just don't get that because that's 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 reality, contemporary, and folks are still feeling that who were 10 years old when they were crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, for example, right? So John Lewis lived with, and Fannie Lou Hamer, well, for the late Fannie Lou Hamer, they lived with the bruises of what happened to what happened to them simply because they were fighting for the rights that Dr. King said that the march we should be having on paper. We should have been born with, you know? So that's how I would, re I would respond. It's absurd, it's sad, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous in so many, on so many levels. Yeah. This is uh, a uh, sad part, and I think Ted made the point that uh, we we become a, a little immune to this uh, to this news. And uh, for many people, when we heard about uh, Jacksonville, it was like, "Well, here we go again," uh, as opposed to the uh, outrage that uh, that we ought to uh, be able to uh, exhibit at uh you know this kind of uh this kind of news but what what is it that we should tell our people what should we tell our young people what should we tell uh the uh the parents what should we tell the teachers uh as we uh move forward about uh how to uh internalize and help people to address uh, this uh, continuing these continuing acts of violence directed against us. So let's start with uh, Professor Stansberry and then go to Professor Shaw. Yeah, it's 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 important to um, get the needed resources for protections, and and I can say this from a you know university protection. But as we started off by saying, is that you can be in a church who expects a I don't want to mention an individual's name to go into a church and 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 per, 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 perpetuate that type of violence. Who expects that? So I would just say don't don't give one don't give up because people are are continuing to try to use that as a means to make you like okay we're going to back down. But two, edu there's so many ways to find education about our history, um, and I think the more you know, I think the more you're empowered. And I think that empowerment is a threat, but continue on with that empowerment um, because you, because that's the only way you're going to pressure um, not just the governmental systems, but but people surrounding you to do better, hopefully, right? And I'm not talking about the moral suasion type of betterment, but I'm talking about just do better because we're not going to back down. And that Montgomery brawl, I think that was probably the best thing that happened because it just showed, I mean, I shouldn't say I think that was a, a positive in many ways because it just showed folks to say that we don't care if you're trying to be violent against us, we're not going to back down. We're not going to be violent against you, but we're not going to back down. So you got to start thinking about, you got to be start thinking about and be more intentional about what you're doing. But empowerment, education is empowerment and just showing that, you know, we're, we're moving forward and we understand our history and we're going to be talking about our history and we're going to demand respect. 
Professor Chow. Well, uh, thank you for all of that, Professor Stanbury. What do we, uh, what do we tell uh, our children, our people, um, and all people? Well, the truth. You know, I think we have to uh, tell them what the truth is of America. Uh, and uh, that means that we have to know it ourselves. Now, Professor Stanberry, you just mentioned, uh, coincidentally, uh, the, the brawl in Montgomery. Uh, I said that we went down to Brian's, uh, you know, Brian uh, Stevenson's uh, uh, museum and his memorial that uh, he's called into being there. Um, uh, we really need to visit that place, take our children. We ought to encourage other people to go. You know, there was a time when I used to think of lynchings as, um, you know, uh, half a dozen people, a dozen people, men taking somebody out in the woods in the middle of the night and, and lynching them, killing them. That, yes, that happened. But a lot of what happened was uh, not six or half a dozen people or something like that. It was whole communities, men, women, and children, uh, the people who held positions of authority and power, um, thousands and thousands of people uh, taking Black people uh, outside of uh, the law uh, and brutally killing them. Uh, it was a picnic. It was a festival. The children watched. Um, and the ugly reality of it was that they dismembered people and, and um, gave away their body parts as memorabilia, made postcards of it. I could go on and on. That's the reality of racialized violence, racial violence in this country. Um, and today it's manifested in these um, killings that uh, go on um, by either uh, people who are working for law enforcement or uh, who deem themselves to be um, uh, private individuals who have the power to do that, or people who just do it on their own. Um, uh, we lose so many Black people. That brawl, at first I didn't get it. My wife was on social media looking at it, and she was going um, crazy uh, <clears throat> uh, with her excitement about seeing what she saw. Uh, and we, the hotel we stayed at was right down the street from that boat slip. We walked down there. Uh, we were there two or three days after it happened. Um, what most people don't know is Trump spoke there at that hotel uh, the night before this happened. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that these people behaved the way they did uh, when they did. But the other thing I want to say is that that street that that happened, the boat slip is at the bottom of Commerce Street in Montgomery. 
the commerce that that street was named after was uh, the auctioning auction houses of slaves and um, the cotton exchanges. It was the commerce of slavery, uh, of racism. Uh, so uh, all of this, uh, we have to remember it. We have to teach it. Uh, we have to tell the story. And we cannot let anyone for forget uh, about the context in which all of this takes place in America today. Um, that's what we have to do, I, I believe. Uh, we have to teach the truth. Teach the truth. We need to understand our history. We, we can repeat that over and over and over again. Um, and as we think about, as we continue to educate um, ourselves and our community and push for the education of the entire country, what would you to kind of share as we get ready to kind of close out as um, next steps to help address um, white domestic terrorism that is being perpetrated against so oftentimes members of the African-American community or the black community? Well, you've just named it. You called it what it is. Uh, white domestic terrorism. Um, and I do see some people, there's a former FBI agent, he's retired now, um, who I see on uh, one of the major networks, I don't remember whether it's CNN or MSNBC, but he talks about the fact, as the FBI has said, that the most uh, significant threat to this country internally is white supremacy. Um, and we have to call it what it is. Uh, and we have to call all of those out who are responsible for the continuation of white supremacy, including the majority of the Supreme Court of the United States right now. Um, uh, we have to call it uh, what it is. Uh, so uh, I don't know what else to say about that beyond that. No, I, I, I concur 100%. We have to call it out for what it is. And I, and I think we do have to add this idea that we have to add doing more to address the easy accessibility of guns. I mean, when Professor Shaw says, you know, like in the past, you know, folks will come in huge numbers to some to African Americans door to lynch them. And, you know, I, I, you know, I say the gun is a new posse. You know, if you're 21 years old, you don't have to call 20, 30 people. You just go and get your gun. You feel em empowered, emboldened. You go and shoot, write a manifesto, write a manifesto, shoot someone and say, this is why I did it. And so we need to figure out how to control this easy access to weapons for 21 for 21 year not just for 21 year olds but i would be very suspective a 21 year old came to me and wanting you know um, weapons that he can he or she can shoot multiple people um but yeah we we have to call it what it is and not be afraid to do so and i know i i tend to to couch my, when i'm in the classroom couch my language a little bit a little bit because you don't want to upset in, in anyone but we got to call it what it is and address it right now in this era. Don't, don't, don't let it fester anymore. Mm -hmm. Use the resources to do something about it. 
And if I may add one more thing uh, without getting into all of it right now, um, but we all, we need to support uh, Justice Anita Earls, mm. uh, who's right. under a vicious attack right now um, by the powers that be. We need to know what's going on with her and we need to voice our support. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, her, the, um, she's being attacked because she is calling it out. Like it she is. is talking about the lack of diversity. She is speaking the truth and she is being attacked because of this. And this is part of the whole kind of plot to, to silence and to prevent the education of, of the history of this country and to sweep under the rug the treatment of uh, Black Americans. Yeah, and it's not only in Florida or Arkansas, it's right here. Right here in North Carolina. That's right, that's right. Well, we could have this conversation for another couple of hours. You two have been absolutely wonderful. We thank you so much for your time, for your insight, for your passion, and your motivation. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're going to definitely invite both of you back again. We'd like to thank our guest, Ted Shaw. He is the Julius L. Chambers Distinguished Professor of Law and Director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina School of Law and Artemisia Stanberry, who is the professor or a professor of political science at North Carolina Central University. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope that you have been inspired to take action, to learn, to educate others as we continue to fight the fight that we need to in order to ensure social justice and equality. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagoreview at nccu.edu. And if you miss this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe. <laughs>